Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a group called the Barna Group, and it's a group that dedicates itself in part to surveying things, and particularly surveying trends that have to do with the Christian church. So back in 2014, they started seeing trends, well not started, but they saw trends of people stopping attending church, church and so they wanted to find out why. And so they, they did one of their famous surveys and tried to find out why people stopped going to church. And these were some of the, the top reasons uh, that church was irrelevant to people's lives. Another had to do with leaders, that the leaders were either hypocritical or they were downright immoral. Others were that they went to church, but they found that God wasn't in church. God was missing from the churches that they were attending. Another was that legitimate doubts were prohibited. You couldn't talk about such things in in many of the churches, apparently. And also, people went to learn about God, but they found out that they didn't learn about God. And so they concluded, well, why bother going? And another was that people didn't find community. They were looking for community, and they didn't find community in churches. Now, that was in 2014. Now, they have been very active over these past couple strange years. In 2019, Barna also found out, and I thought this was pretty surprising, that 14% of adults in the United States never went to church. I would have thought it would have been a lot more than that, but 14%. But the interesting thing is, by the middle of 2020, that number had jumped from 14% to 53%. So in one year, 40% of adults stopped going to church. And by the middle of 2020, 20% of those who consider themselves to be active Christians had not gone to any sort of church, online, in person, or anything. So we're asking the question, well, what, what's God doing? What's God doing in the pandemic? And, and none of us can answer that with, uh, with any security. But one of the things it looks like is that he's pruning his church. He's purging his church, perhaps. Now, we, it's probably too early to say, as we're just coming out of it, and some places around the world have not yet even begun to come out of it. And I don't really know if these are accurate statistics. I don't know how to interpret these statistics. And I'm not particularly alarmed at these statistics either. But whenever I read statistics like this, I come to the conclusion to which I always come when I think about the church and when I think about our church in particular. Whatever might be happening in our society, whatever might be happening in the church at large, our calling is still the same. It does not change. It has not changed. And what is our calling? 
Our calling is to be the church that God calls us to be in His Word. Whatever might be happening around us, politically, economically, socially, religiously, our calling is to be the church as God describes the church and calls the church to be in His Word. And so, when we go to one of these letters of the New Testament, one of the things we're asking is, What's the church look like? What should the church look like? Because these are letters that are written to churches. Some were written to, written to individuals, but most of them were written to churches. And so what we're going to be doing this summer is looking at this letter to this church in Colossae and learning from what God has to say to that church through the Apostle Paul and his right-hand man, Timothy. He has, as in most of his letters, all of his letters, There's a greeting that eventually became stylized into a typical Christian greeting in letters. And so we're going to look at just two parts of this this beginning section. What we often find in Paul's letters is that we have a greeting, we have a thanksgiving, and then we have a prayer. We're just going to look at the first two, and then next week we'll look at the prayer. We're going to look at the greeting and the thanksgiving. The greeting is in the first two verses, and it's, it's common for us when we read these just to read over this because it's become kind of, kind of stylized. It's rote. But this was actually something that, that Paul and others developed, this kind of a, a greeting that was an appropriate greeting for Christian letters. As he did in most of his letters, Paul identified himself as an apostle. An apostle is a sent one, from the Greek word to send. So he's saying, I am a sent one, I am a missionary. But then he immediately adds that he was not sent by his own will. He did not send himself. He often emphasizes, as he does here, Paul, a sent one, a missionary of Christ Jesus by the will of of God. He did not take this upon himself. He did not arrogate to himself this responsibility. He was sent by God. And if you don't know much about the Apostle Paul, I recommend that you go to Acts chapter 9. Acts is a historical book in the New Testament. And that you go to Acts chapter 9, and you will find that Paul was an enemy of the church, and that God stopped him, literally stopped him in his tracks, and called him to follow Jesus and as an apostle, a sent one to take Jesus' name specifically, not to the Jews, but specifically to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And that's what he dedicated himself to do the rest of his life. Now, we learn later in this letter that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And this was a very productive time in prison. We think he was in prison in Rome at this time, and during that time, It looks like he wrote Philippians, the letter to the church in Philippi. It looks like he wrote this letter uh, to the Colossians. It looks like he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. And he also wrote the letter to an individual Philemon. So a very productive time for us uh, that that, uh, that, uh, Paul was in prison at this time. As he did, still in verse 1, as he did in six other of his letters, he named his right-hand man. And Paul had a number of of, uh, helpers, and he had a number of colleagues, but there was no one who served with Paul more constantly and more faithfully than Timothy did. And you can read about Timothy's story also there in the middle of Acts, Acts chapter 16, where Paul picked up Timothy, recruited Timothy, and began to take him along. Now, when we find Timothy named, and when we find others named, sometimes it looks like a courtesy. Sometimes it looks like a courtesy naming the right-hand man. And then immediately Paul drops the we and goes to the I. 
And so it looks like it was a courtesy, or in some cases, particularly like with the Philippian church and the Thessalonian church, there was a very special relationship between Timothy and those churches. And so Timothy was named because he was known and beloved by those churches. But here we find that Paul eventually drops the we and goes to the I, but it takes him a little longer. And there's some curious things that the scholars look at in Colossians that indicate that maybe Timothy had a bigger hand in co-authoring this letter than we find in others of the letters that also include Timothy's name. Now, it's written to the church in Colossae. Colossae was a prominent city in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And uh, it was in the Roman province called Asia. And that's kind of a head fake for us, because in the New Testament, when it speaks of Asia, it's speaking of a, a province of Western Asia Minor. When we think of Asia, we're thinking all the way from there to the Far East. But Asia was a, was a province, and Colossae was a prominent city in that province, that Roman province of Asia in Western Asia Minor. Now, curiously, Paul had never been to this city. He tells us later that they had never seen his face. He had never seen their face. And this is interesting because he's identifying himself as an apostle to them as well. That his calling extended to all the world. His calling extended to all the Gentiles. And he speaks to them authoritatively as an apostle, even though he was not personally the founder of that church. It was evangelized by Epaphras, Epaphras, and we're going to meet Epaphras here, likely during Paul's two-year stint in Ephesus. Okay, let's try to put this together. Paul camped out in Ephesus for two years, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 19. And there's an amazing statement there that unless we know the, the way they identified geography, we'd be very shocked at it. It says that everyone in Asia heard the gospel. Everyone in Asia. And we're thinking, really? All the way to Japan? Everyone? No. But it was Asia, the province of Asia. So he camped out for two years in Ephesus until he got run out. And uh, he didn't stay longer in other places because he got run out more quickly. But he, 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 he was able to stay for two, two and a half years in Ephesus. And he was able to use that as a base of operations. But he didn't go personally to all the cities. What did he do? He sent emissaries. He sent assistants. He sent people like this. He sent Epaphras, who was actually a Colossian. So he was from there. And we will see him mentioned throughout this letter. He was from Colossae. And so he had the privilege, we don't know how he encountered Paul, but at some point he encountered Paul, at some point he became a Christian, at some point he was trained sufficiently to become a a minister, and he went back to his own people and had the privilege of evangelizing his own people and apparently two other cities, Laodicea and Iriopolis, that were were, uh, nearby cities. So he was the, the pastor of that region, but he had been sent by Paul. So Paul was still their apostle, even though they had their own minister who had been sent by Paul. Now, Paul describes these as saints. And this is how Christians are described throughout the New Testament as saints. And saints, once again, it's a word that that conjures up perhaps uh, images for us of especially righteous people that have been recognized for their extraordinary deeds or miracles or something like that. But saints in the Bible are the set-apart ones. They're the ones that are set apart. 
sanctified. That's what sanctified is, to be set apart. They are set apart. So, all believers in Christ are saints. They are set apart by God, for God, and yes, for holy living. So, they are saints, they and we, if we are believers in Christ, and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Now, as I say, we, we, we go right over these, these expressions which, uh, without sometimes thinking about the significance because it describes these saints and these faithful brothers as being located in two places. Two places. And here it says, in Christ, at Colossae, but it's the same preposition in the original, in Christ, in Colossae. So where are they? Well, are they... Where are they permanently? Where are they eternally? They are in Christ. That's where saints and faithful brothers and sisters are. Eternally in Christ. Where do they happen to be right now? They happen to be right now, well, in Colossae. And that's the same for believers throughout the ages. Where do you happen to be now? Well, Pompano Beach. Where will you be tomorrow? Maybe somewhere else. That changes. But if you are in Christ, you are in Christ permanently. And this, this is an expression, when you're reading through Paul, if you're in the habit of underlining in your Bible, uh, underline or highlight this expression, in Christ, in Jesus, in Him, in Christ, in Jesus. This is a central idea in Scripture and particularly brought out in Paul's letters. And that is, whatever good thing we have from God, from eternity past to eternity future, we have it because we are united to Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. United to Jesus by faith in Him. Paul says that we were chosen in Him before the beginning of time. We will be glorified in Him at the end of the ages. And every good thing we have from God is in union with Christ. Now hold on to that, because we will find this letter, the the purpose of this letter is to exalt Jesus is to exalt Jesus to Christians. And we will find the reason that these Colossians, these Christians, needed for Jesus to be exalted in their midst. We'll find that as we go along. Now, the blessing, the blessing, and this is what became a stylized Christian blessing. Normally in a Roman, a Greco-Roman letter, there was a, a health wish. We hope that you're healthy. And there was also just the word greetings. And the Christians developed that, and this became stylized, and you see it in Peter, you see it here in Paul frequently, grace and peace. Grace and peace. And so here we have the source, and we also have the result. Grace, this favor that we have from God, that, that's, that's grace. That's where all the benefits we have come from. That's the source, grace. And peace is the Jewish shalom which is not just the absence of war, but the presence of all good things. It is well-being. So we have, the, we have the source, and we have the end in this blessing. Now, curiously, curiously, Paul and Timothy write, from God our Father. Usually they write what? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in most of the letters you find, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a remarkable expression, putting Jesus and God the Father as the the joint source of grace and peace. But here it's just God the Father. And this has the scholars kind of scratching their heads. Why would that be? One supposition or one possible idea is this. 
We will find, we will find throughout this letter that, as I said, it is all about exalting Jesus. It is all focused on the Son and showing the preeminence and the grandeur and the greatness of the Son. But before he does that, he gives God his honor. God the Father his honor by speaking of him as the source of grace and peace. And we'll see a familiar or rather a similar move with the Holy Spirit. Now that's the, that's the greeting. And now the, uh, the thanksgiving. Don't be alarmed, we spend a little bit of uh, maybe extra time on two verses, but we'll work through the, the, uh, the thanksgiving, which is another five verses here, in which he thanks God, once again, the Father. Now notice the pronoun there, verse 3. What's the pronoun? What's the first word? We. And so, once again, it looks like Timothy's, Timothy's participation may have been more than just a courtesy. So, um, they thanked God, the Father, for three qualities... Three qualities, and you've probably heard of these three qualities in the New Testament. Three qualities that were evident in the Colossians. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. They're in different orders, in different places. Oftentimes we think about faith, hope, love. But here we have faith, love, hope. And here we have faith in Christ Jesus, which is what a Christian is. That's what a Christian is. Someone who has faith in Christ Jesus. You're not a Christian if you do not have faith in Christ Jesus. So that's, that's primary here. And then, love throughout the Scripture is the inevitable and necessary evidence of faith. So where there is faith in Christ Jesus, there will be love, and particularly it says, love for all the saints, love for all other Christians, brotherly, sisterly love. And then there is, curiously, hope at the end. But notice here, in verse 5 it says, because of the hope. Now that's curious, and that's, that's unique. In, in, in the New Testament and Paul's writings. It is saying that the reason for the faith and love is the hope. So you have faith and love, we give thanks for your faith, we give thanks for your love, and your faith and love are because of hope. Now, hope's an interesting word. And in, in Greek, as, a, as well as in English, there's some ambiguity about hope. Because when we say, I hope, We are talking about some sort of subjective feeling that we have. Some sort of expectation of something good in the future. It is is a feeling, a sensation on our part. But we also use the word hope as that for which we hope. Something concrete, something objective, something that exists outside of us. Now, I don't don't follow a lot of NFL uh, games. but um, I don't know if there are any Jacksonville Jaguar fans around here. No, we're kind of far from them. They were the worst team in the NFL last year. They won one game. Surprisingly, they won it. They won their first game, a shocker, and then, then true to form, they lost every other game. They went 1-15. Now, we can imagine a Jacksonville Jaguar fan saying, I hope, I hope we have a winning season next year. And then we would ask the question, why? 
Is there some objective reason outside of your desire for your team to do well? Is there something outside of you that gives you, inspires in you that hope? And we can imagine Jacksonville Jaguar fans saying, yes, three. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, and Coach Urban Meyer. We think that these three, quarterback, running back, and maybe there's some other ones there, but they were the, to the two top recruits. And uh, so the quarterback, the running back, both from Clemson, and then Urban Meyer, who is an amazing coach. They are our what? They are our hope. Objectively, outside of how we might feel, they are our hope. Do you see the difference here? And these go together. We hope we have a winning season because we have hope these three are our hope. Now the focus here, the focus here is on the objective hope that Christians have. Not just the, the wishful thinking, the feeling of something good in the future. Look at verse uh, 4, 5. Because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. This is not hope in your heart. This is hope that is outside of you. This is hope laid up for you in heaven. Something objective that is the cause, the reason for faith and love. And if we keep reading in Colossians, we find out what that hope is. If you look at chapter 1, verse 27, we read here, To them God chose to make known How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So let's put these together. What is he saying here? You have faith, you have love because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. And what, or should I say, who is that hope? That hope is Jesus Christ, who is at God's right hand. And that that interpretation is confirmed by verse 6, which says, uh, well, the end of verse 5, of this you have heard, of what? Of this hope you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So you have heard of this hope in the gospel. Let me ask you, what is the gospel? About whom is the gospel? The gospel is about Jesus, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that we have forgiveness of sins through faith in Him. That's the gospel message. It's about Jesus. And so Paul is saying, without mentioning Him, he's saying, this hope, you heard about this hope in the gospel. Now it makes sense how hope could be the reason for faith and love. If Jesus objectively is our hope, if He has died, if He has risen, if He is above at God's right hand, then we have an objective reason to believe in Him, to have faith in Christ, and that faith then produces love. So, faith and love because of the hope that is laid for us, up for us in heaven. Now they also... Paul and Timothy also thanked God not only for this, this, uh, this triad of qualities of faith, love, and hope in the believers, but also because this gospel of Christ was bearing fruit and increasing. Verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit 
and increasing as it also does among you. This is language that comes from Genesis about bearing fruit and increasing. This is what the plants did. This is what the animals did. And this is what humans were told to do. To bear fruit and to multiply, to increase. This is Genesis language, creation language. And it's, it's presenting the gospel as, as doing just what was supposed to happen at the beginning of creation. Bearing fruit and increasing. And he says it's doing it among you, Colossians, and it's doing it among the world. Now in this context, next week we'll see this expression again in a little bit different meaning. But here in this context, it means that more and more people are becoming Christians. Not only in Colossae, Laodicea, Iriopolis, but also all over the world. And that was happening in Paul's day. At least as much of the world as he knew, the gospel was increasing in number. And guess what? It still is. When I got back to the States about five years ago, I found a lot of consternation among Christians because that does not seem to be the case so obviously here as it was in the past. And I, I read some of those statistics, and I, I don't really know uh, how accurate that is, but, but it does seem like that, that it's not the kind of increase that has happened at other times. And there's, there's consternation. But let me just tell you that we may be an anomaly, because around the world, just as Paul said, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing, growing in some places by leaps and Bounds. In other places, no. But around the world, the gospel is increasing and has been ever since it began to be preached. Now, the way the gospel bears fruit and increases is when it is heard, understood, and believed. And here we, we look at verse 6 and then into verse 7. Just as you learned it, and here's Epaphras, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant... You learned it from somebody. You heard it. You understood it. You believed it. And then they describe, He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So we find that Epaphras went, preached the gospel, became the minister of that region, and then he came back to to Paul and Timothy and reported about the, the amazing results of the gospel in that region of Asia Minor. And so... It says here that the only way that the gospel can grow and increase is if there's somebody like Epaphras. Without an Epaphras, it won't grow and increase. Somebody needs to preach the gospel for others to hear the gospel in order to understand the gospel, in order to believe the gospel for the gospel to increase. So uh, that was true in Colossae. That's true in Pompano Beach or wherever we might live It will not grow and will not increase without an Epaphras, without someone to tell it to others. Now this Epaphras reported back to them, and here in verse 6 it says, has made known to us, how do do they summarize what he made known? He's already mentioned faith, love, and hope, and here he summarizes, he boils it down to one thing, doesn't he? Epaphras came and he, he made known to Paul and Timothy what? Your love in the Spirit. Your love in the Spirit. That's the, that's the summary of the, Coloss- uh, the Colossians' uh, life. Their love in the Spirit. And here we have another curiosity. And that is, this is the only explicit mention 
in the letter to the Colossians of the Holy Spirit, which is very unusual for Paul. And many of the things that in other letters Paul focuses on the Holy Spirit, here in this letter he focuses on Christ. And we will go through this letter and find out why this emphasis. And so once again, scratch, scratch our heads and say, why, why does he mention the Father by himself in the greeting? Why does he mention the Holy Spirit at the end of the, the, the Thanksgiving and, and doesn't mention the Holy Spirit another time? Well, it, it looks like because the whole rest of the letter is going to be focused on Jesus. Focused on the second person of the Trinity. Focused on the Son of God. So at the beginning, He gives the Father the honor that is His due. Here at the end of the Thanksgiving, He gives the, the Spirit the honor that is His due. And the rest of the letter, it's all about lifting up Jesus. Now, you might wonder, well, why do Christians need Christ to be exalted among them? Well, we will find out. So stick around this summer, and we will find out why they and why we need for Christ to be exalted among us. And it will not come as a surprise uh, to you, if you've read anything of the New Testament or the Old, that not all was well in the Colossian church. Not all was well. And we will find out what was unwell and why the exaltation of Christ was the answer there too. But for now, for now, we're going to focus on what was, what was right about the Colossian church and learn from them. What were they? They were a group of Christians, saints, faithful brothers and sisters who were characterized by faith in the Lord Jesus, which showed itself in love for one another and for other believers and it was based on the objective hope of Jesus who is at God's right hand. And they were also instruments of getting the gospel out to others such that it was growing and increasing among many. So, whatever might be happening in our world, whatever might be happening according to Barna, and the trends around us, Well, if we can be a church characterized by faith in Jesus, love for one another, based on the objective hope of Christ resurrected and ascended and at God's right hand, and be instruments for getting this message out to the world such that it grows and increases. Whatever we might be, whatever we might not be, we will be pursuing that call that God has for each and every church. I was flipping through this stack of cards. We had these cards before we weren't supposed to touch anything that anyone else touched. We had these connect cards. And not many people would turn those in, but I still have a stack of hundreds of those. And I was going through those and reflecting on all the people that came through our church at different times. One of the things I'm still having to adjust to in South Florida is the transients of people visiting once because they're on vacation and then going back to Iowa. And maybe we'll see them again next year or three years down the road. Or people coming in and moving here and being here for a little while and then moving on. Or or people just visiting our church and then moving on to another church, whatever it might be. Lots of flux, lots of flow. And I was reflecting on on all those folks that have come through in one way or another and blessed us and that we've had the opportunity of, of meeting. Scores or probably hundreds of people 
in the short life of this church, and I started asking myself, what did they take away? What did they take away from the one Sunday that they were with us? Or the three months, or the two years, or whatever it might have been? What would they have gone and reported about us? Well, I hope it was, and hope it always will be. Well, that's a group that they meet in this kind of 70s disco ballroom place. They have simple music that's focused on the the Lord. Somebody gets up and he explains a text of the Bible. But what really impressed me about those folks is their faith, their love, their hope, and that they're getting that message out to the world. Let's pray. God, we thank You for a faithful church. We hear a lot of bad things about the church. But we thank You for a faithful church like the Colossians. We know that all was not well, but we thank You that they were characterized by the primary qualities of Christians. Faith in Jesus, love for one another, and hope, which is Jesus, and getting that message out to many. And Lord, whatever we might be, wherever we might go, whatever You might do with our church, We pray that we would be people of faith, of love, and of hope, and that you would use us as instruments for the increase of the gospel among many. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.